So this past Wednesday, I got the chance to teach some preschoolers uh, at my church, and I was telling them that I work with college students, and I was like, you guys, college students and preschoolers have a whole lot in common. So I want you guys to guess, you're going to shout out answers, um, about the things that I told them that college students and preschoolers had alike. What? They have no idea what they're doing. Uh, preschoolers think they have a lot of ideas of what they're doing, but that is very true. Baths. Baths? Naps. <laughs> naps, yes, that's true. It's like baths. Um, naps. So many questions. So many questions, yes. Food, yes, you can control them, bribe them with food, absolutely. Um, the things that I was telling them, I was like, college students and preschoolers love to play. Um, I think both age groups, you're trying to figure out what you are, who you are in this world. Um, but the thing that really got them was I was like, preschoolers and college students, they all love tattoos. And they're like, yeah, we love tattoos. <laughs> um, and actually, after winter retreat, my oldest two came home, and they were like, like they do, like taking Sharpies and like drawing all over their bodies, and they go, mommy, when we go to college, that's when we get to get a tattoo. <laughs> I was like, what are these students teaching you? Um, but for real, I do think that there is a reason that college students and Preschoolers love tattoos because I think both age groups love beauty and both age groups love story. And tattoos can show off a beautiful story in a way that a lot of things can't. Um, and so tonight, we are actually going to talk about the power of story. And I don't think it will take much to convince you that stories are really powerful. That stories have the ability to connect us they have the ability to offer meaning. They have the ability to take an abstract idea and make it concrete. And stories help us believe something about ourselves that we might not have been able to believe. And I'm sure if you guys thought long enough, you're like, okay, yes, there's totally been a story, somebody else that has shared something with me that has inspired me. Somebody's story convinced you to come to UTC. Somebody's story helped you change majors. Somebody's story is why you're here at the house. We watch as stories help us remember things that we can't get out of our head. And we even watch as stories have bonded us. Like after the winter retreat, a lot of people got sick and there was a whole lot of bonding happening over throwing up. Like, but these stories bonded people together. And so what we're going to see tonight is that not only is it bonding, but these stories actually are powerful and are a way that the Lord uses us to spread his kingdom to the world. So let's pray. Father God, would you um, just anoint these words? Would you um, inspire us to share your story? Thank you for giving it to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, so this scripture tonight, 
like has so much fun detail in it. And I like kind of was like, should I just share all the details? Because I love them. Um, but I'm not going to. Um, but it's it feels every detail in this passage feels so important because the gospel writer of Mark, he was writing to a Roman audience and the Romans love like concise, like entertain me, get to these things fast. And so most of his stories are really like not a ton of detail, really to the point. And so this one is like by far the most detailed, longest account that we see. And so it feels like all of these details are so important that I want to like pay so much attention to because he doesn't just like add fluff to add fluff for its sake that I want like hold on to every little bit of it. Um, so I'm going to talk about some of those details, but I would love to geek out with anybody about the rest of it sometime. Um, and I hope as we share details that you are just amazed by the ministry of Jesus. And I also hope that tonight you are compelled to share your story and excited that God would use your story to spread the kingdom to the world. So we're going to look at the story in three different, by three different characters. So we're going to look at the three different beggars in the scripture. So the first beggar we see is the demon. And kind of like previously in Mark, um, Jesus and his disciples have been on the um, Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they're there and Jesus is doing some healings. He's casting out demons. We see him giving a parable, a story about a mustard seed, a tiny little seed being the thing that can move mountains, that can spread wildly throughout the kingdom. We then see Jesus and his disciples get into a boat and they're in this water, and the, the water in the Jewish mindset is seen as like the abyss is what they think about it, so it's like darkness. So they get onto this boat, and there's this big storm, and Jesus calms the storm. And it's after he calms the storm that they continue to the other side of the sea of the abyss, and they enter this town of the Gerasenes. This area of town also um, is connected with the, the Decapolis, like it said at the very end. And it is like this area that the good Jews would never go to. But even if a good Jew were to say the word Decapolis, they were considered unclean because it was a place for the pagans. It was not a place that they would go to. So you can imagine the disciples on the boat. They like dock, and then there this madman is like running at them. If they're like, oh my gosh, like here we go, what's happening? Or maybe they're like, ooh, what's Jesus going to do this time? Like who knows what they're thinking, but they are in this unclean place, and the un man with the unclean spirit is running at them. He runs at them and he says, Jesus, son of the most high God. He begs him, do not send me into the abyss. Do not send me into this other country. And Jesus says, what's your name? He says, Legion, for we are many. And then he begs him again, please send us into those pigs. And Jesus gives him permission. So what do we learn about story from this beggar? We learn that naming is important in our story. We see this demon named Jesus. He knows who he is. He says, Jesus, son of the God most high. He attributes power to the name of Jesus and calls that out. 
And then we see the power at work in Jesus as Jesus casts this demon out. And we see him not just cast out one demon, but a legion of them, the most that we could ever imagine. We see that power in Jesus' name cast all of that demon out. So just a little side note, for any of you guys that think that your physical, emotional, spiritual battles are too big for God to take care of, let this story show you otherwise, that Jesus has power over even a legion of demons. So as Jesus is named here, what is really significant is in this time, names like brought about a lot of intimacy. You had a lot of power when you knew somebody's name. So like the pharaohs in this time would have a bunch of different names, and you would know a certain name depending on how close you were to that pharaoh. So Jesus, in his vulnerability, is like even the demons know his name. He's not scared of that. Because naming him brings power. And then we see Jesus' name. Ask for the name of the demon. What is your name? And he says, Legion, for we are many. And in this moment, he is saying, I'm not just having you be some like abstract madman thing, but like, who are you? Able to name it and call it out. And that's something that we also are invited to do in our stories. To not just have these abstract things happening in us. We just have these anxieties that maybe we're holding on to. I'm just anxious. But in our story, we're invited to name what that thing is, what we may be anxious about. What may be actually going on. Because when we name it, we can then put the name of Jesus next to it and say, what am I looking at? How do we address this? Is Jesus actually bigger than my loneliness? Is Jesus actually bigger than my fear of rejection? Does he have something to say about that? When we name things, it brings power over it. And when we name things, other things can get stirred up in our minds. In this story in particular, when when the demon says, my name is Legion, What's interesting is that the people that would have been reading it, so like I said, this, this gospel was written to a Roman crowd, and so they would have been these new Christians in Rome, they've been reading it, and what they would have heard when he said, okay, my name is Legion, is they would have heard a military word. The Roman military was also called Legion, and there actually was like the 10th Legion was in this area, and so what they would have heard is, oh... God has power over this Roman government, over this empire that I'm trying to figure out how do I live in this world while also following Jesus. And by naming it, they heard that Jesus had power over that empire. What's something in your life that maybe you're not naming? Something in your story that you haven't named, that you're, you're kind of keeping aside, saying it's a scary monster, but I don't want to look at it. What's the thing in your story that you have not named Jesus as Lord over? He invites us in our story to name these things. 
for me, if I am, if I'm upset at somebody, being able to name that I have not forgiven them is necessary so that I can invite the Lord to help me in that process. Otherwise, it just feels like this daunting sadness. We're invited to name the things in our life. And sometimes when we don't name those things, they become even bigger than they actually are. And sometimes they end up then turning into these gods, these false idols in our lives, and we unintentionally are worshiping them. But this story actually has Jesus talking about how he is even over some of those false gods. So when we look back at the story, I wonder if any of you guys were like, well, what about all the pigs? Like, that's a lot of pigs that died. Um, I don't have all the answers to the pig situation. Um, but I do know that it would have been a little strange to have 2,000 pigs on the side of a hill. That wasn't just like a normal, like, we just love our pigs. Um, there would have been reason for the pigs. Um, there's lots of speculation. One of the reasons would have been military presence in the area, that pigs were a cheap way to feed a bunch of military. And so it really could have been that that legion was there in that area. What's really fascinating is that the 10th legion of Rome, their symbol, their mascot was the pig, the boar. Yeah. So as these pigs go rushing off the side of the hill, once again, there is this distinction that Jesus has power even over this empire. Another thought about why the pigs were there is pigs were used for pagan worship to offer to sac as sacrifices to these false gods. And that many pigs probably meant there might have been some sort of festival happening in, in those pagan festivals. Lots of really hard things to handle were happening. And so if these were the pigs that were being used to sacrifice to these gods and all of these pigs fall into the ocean and drown, those people that are following those gods come and look and there are all these, I mean, there's going to be a lot of dead pigs floating in the sea. And are they looking at these dead pigs saying, oh my goodness, this God that I thought was the most powerful is not. There's another God that has more power over everything than what I thought. So do I know exactly why all of those pigs were drowned by these demons? No. But we do see it so clear that Jesus had power over evil, whatever that may be. He had power over the demons, power over the government, power over false gods. And now no matter the reason that the pigs were there, whether it was military purposes, sacrifice, or simply just some bacon, the people that were like watching the pigs, the people that were going to be sacrificing or eating them, like they were affected. And their livelihood was a little bit messed up. And so, yes, they were going to be angry. And that's the next group of people we're going to be looking at, the next group of beggars, the crowd. 
So these demons enter the pigs. They run off the side of the hill, and they drown. And surprisingly, pigs are actually really good swimmers, and so we actually see these demons drown the pigs. And another turn of events here is that the demons had asked, do not send us into the abyss, God. Do not. Well, where do the demons go? Into the water. And the water is thought of as the abyss. And so, surprise, surprise, Jesus says you can go to the pigs, but they still end up where they belonged in the long run. So the herdsmen are like, oh my gosh, all these pigs have just dove, dove off. They're dead. And they run into the country and the city to tell people, which probably left, you know, Jesus and this man some, like, some quality one-on-one time while he was spreading the news. Um, But these people come back. And yes, they're upset about their pigs, but you know what the scripture says actually made them afraid? This demon-possessed man, clothed and in his right mind. That is what scared them. And they were so afraid that they said, Jesus, leave. Get out of here. Leave us alone. So, what does this beggar tell us about our story? It tells us that our stories may be rejected. Jesus was rejected. He was turned away. He messed with their system. Their system of finances, their plan, their status. Okay, this guy belongs here. He belongs in the tombs. You Jews belong over here. We belong here. He messed with all of it. And they're like, listen, stop messing with our way of life. Leave. And as you share your story with people, they're going to be like, I don't want to be, I don't want you to mess with this. I don't want the kingdom of God to mess with my plans, my finances, the way I see life. So leave. You may even be rejecting your own story because of that. But what if you know that as you share your story, that rejection doesn't mean failure? That rejection is not the end of the story. Because Jesus knew that. What does he do when they say, leave, Jesus, leave, get out of here? He doesn't fight for him to stay. He's like, no, but listen, like, I healed this man. This was a good thing. You were scared of him, and now you don't have to be scared of of him anymore. He's somebody's son. Aren't you excited about that? Like, I've done a good thing. Let me defend myself. No. He gets in the boat. He had a bigger story ahead. And he knew that that rejection of him was not the end of the story. What if we believed that too? Would we be more willing to step into that fear of rejection if we believed that? And then as Jesus is in the boat, we see our third beggar character come about. And it is this man who has now been healed. And he comes to Jesus and he says, let me come with you. Let me follow you. Which would have made all the sense in the world. I mean, he didn't have family. He didn't have a job. He didn't even have clothes to like 
take with him. He could have just followed Jesus all day long. But Jesus says, no. Go tell your friends about what has been done and the mercies that you have been shown. Two surprising things here. One, he says, go and tell your story. Which if you were here a few weeks ago, you heard Jason talk about Jesus telling Peter, don't tell this story. And I'd love to talk to you about the Messianic secret and the sides of the sea that you're allowed to say things on another time. But he tells him to go and tell. And he also says, go tell your friends. And that's surprising to me because I could imagine like the madman vibe, like the hurting himself and hurting others probably suffered a lot of friendships. So is Jesus encouraging him to go back to these relationships that had been broken and say, go and restore these relationships? Bring them back together. So what is this beggar telling us about story? This beggar is telling us that this is the way that Jesus uses us to spread his kingdom. See, this is not the final time that we see Jesus in the Decapolis, in this area. If you were to like flip ahead um, three chapters, you'd come to Mark 8. See, Jesus, after, his, after he's told, get out of here, we don't want you here, he takes his boat back to the Jewish side, does some things, and then comes back around. And when he comes back around, something totally opposite happens. There are thousands of people begging him to heal them. There are thousands of people who are following him around for days, so many days, that they get hungry, and we have the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. All of these people there because of this guy's story. Because he went to the Decapolis and shared the story and they were amazed and they wanted to know Jesus. And he wants to use our stories as well. This is how he wants to spread his kingdom just like a little mustard seed changing the world. It is like us spreading his story throughout the world. And he wants to use our story because he knows that story creates connection. He knows that story helps us with meaning. He knows that story helps us believe things to be true that we might not otherwise believe to be true. So there's Jesus and this man, this man who has nothing. Like he didn't have his personality, he didn't have his will, self-control, he didn't have clothes. And then there's Jesus saying, I'm going to clothe you. I'm giving you people, go to these friends. I'm going to give you purpose. Go and tell your story. Do this thing. And then literally clothing. I mean, we don't know who else was around during that scene, but can you imagine, like, Jesus sitting there being like, here, take my cloak. That seems like a Jesus thing to do. To literally clothe this man, to say, you do not need to be ashamed 
I've covered that. And maybe that was a nod to Genesis 3, where God covers and clothes Adam and Eve after they sin. Maybe it was a point ahead to Jesus dying on the cross, being naked himself, saying, my death is clothing you, forgiving you, freeing you of shame. So this man with this, these new clothes, this new life goes and tells people about this freedom that God has offered to him. And he finds connection with them, and then they want to connect with Jesus because of story. And then he is learning about meaning through this. I mean, can you imagine if he was still alive? We don't really actually know what happened to him. But when Jesus returns, and there he is with thousands of people, Jesus comes and he's like, oh, this is this why Jesus said no then? Because these people now want to know Jesus. What if he wouldn't have told his story? He wouldn't have gotten to see that. And then maybe if he was there, you know that this man was like, I'm sitting front row listening to Jesus. He said, I wouldn't follow you then, but here I am now learning from him and maybe in a different capacity than he thought. But this story brought about meaning about why the no came earlier. I'm guessing a lot of you guys have been in that spot before where you're like, why, God, did you say no? Why did this door close? I felt like this was so aligned with your mission. And my encouragement to you is when he says no to something, he's asking you to say yes to something else. So say yes to that. And begin to share that story. And maybe you'll begin to discover the meaning to the no. And then when we share our story, we begin to believe things that we never thought were true. As he shared his story about being healed, people were probably like, oh yeah, we heard stories about that guy. Like, if Jesus can heal him, oh, he can totally heal me. If Jesus can free him, oh, he can totally free my brother. They believed in Jesus because of the story. And we see this here all the time, that when you guys hear stories of other people doing things, you're like, oh, I think I could do that. When we go to the same place on a mission trip for years, people sign up so fast. They're like, oh my gosh, I can imagine myself doing that because of stories that are shared. It's why so many of you work at BCAF because people are like, I work at BCAF. They're like, oh, let me, I can do that. There are so many things that if we were to share the story of God and what he can do, that I believe your friends and the people you're sharing with would then rise up and believe that that is possible for them too, but that comes through sharing our story. So why don't you share your story? What keeps you from that? Maybe it is that fear of rejection. I'm telling you, it, it, it'll probably happen. But 
the good news is when you are vulnerable, that means that people also know how to help you and lift you up. And when you are rejected from the kingdom of this world, you know what doesn't reject you? The kingdom of God. And the people of the kingdom of God are in that with you. And there's, I mean, there's so many reasons why we don't share our story, but, but tonight I want you to just flip the script. What happens if you don't share your story? What are people missing? Because I promise you, you're not the only one that's looking for meaning in life. You're not the only one who's longing for love. Longing for a God to heal them. Longing to be believed in and lifted up. You are not the only one. The people around you, the people in your classes, in your family, in your dorms are longing for that as well. So what happens if you don't share? You guys have no idea the influence that you have on people. You might not. Even the guy in this story, here's crazy. So he didn't know that he was going to influence, you know, those 4,000 plus men and women, children, people that day. But here's what Christian folklore legend says, is that that town that he was from, this guy, becomes a Christian town. And churches are built up in the city. And there's a big cathedral there. And this bishop, the bishop, bishop of um, Hippos, that's his name, was said to be one of the people that penned the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed is a creed that churches all over the world say, yes, we believe this to be true. And so did this man even influence us today because of the story he shared? We are told to go share our story. We are told that this is how the kingdom of God is spread. And our story doesn't have to be perfect. His wasn't. We don't have to be biblically literate or know all of the answers to anything. He sure didn't. He spent a couple hours with Jesus probably. He still was sent out to be this missionary to share his story. And that is what the Lord is asking of you to go and share your story. So to close, I want to share my story with you. I grew up as a follower of Jesus in Seattle, Washington. In high school, I struggled to find my identity as a child of God as I was wrapped up in my journey of becoming a professional ballet dancer. I was haunted by an eating disorder for a big part of my life, killing my dream to become a professional dancer. Then I went to college, joined a sorority, was on exec, was involved with my college ministry, kept dancing, had a great time, loved frat parties, spent summers in the Dominican teaching hip-hop and Jesus, fell in love with ministry, was single until the junior year, my junior year of college and thought something must be wrong with me. Applied for a job doing college ministry in Seattle and didn't get the job. 
got a job in a town called Chattanooga that I had never heard of, was dumped three weeks before I moved and heartbroken, moved to Tennessee for what I thought would be 10 months, and that was 16 years ago, felt alive in my job and in the city, struggled with loneliness, made dating decisions to fill a void, made lifelong friends, got hired to dance professionally, reconciled with my dad in the final year of his life, struggled a lot with feelings that I'd never be enough, fought jealousy hard, felt too old when I was single in my late 20s and no longer had friends to live with because they were all married, wanted to be wanted, affirmed, desired to be the best, dated long distance, fell in love, got married, had three awesome kids, freaked out when I had a girl, found out one of my kids had a major medical condition and even with surgeries may not have the long life I'd want for her. Still working on family relationships that cause me pain, grief, and work. Trying to accept my daughter's diagnosis. Still very hurt when I'm not included or chosen or trusted by people. Still want to be more. In a season of making new friendships learning how to lead funerals and weddings, wondering if I should have gotten my master's degree, trying to figure out how to be a mom to each of my kids specifically, forgiving a family member, forgiving someone who I think I called responsible for ending my dancing career, wishing I had more time to spend with certain people, walking with mentors, praying that my job would be honoring to God I could go on. The story's not just mine. It's the Lord's. It's a story of the... (laughs) It's a story of his power over evil. Of his power over things that I thought oppressed me. Over shame, over idols. It's a story of freedom. A story of ways that he is working through me to share his goodness his delight, his presence with us, his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. He's doing the same with your story. Will you share it? Let's watch what God does as you do. We're going to take a few minutes and I want you to reflect I reflect, I want you to ask. Ask the Lord to reveal a story that you, he would have you share. So ask the Lord to reveal to you a story that he would have you share. And I'll close us in a few minutes with prayer.